0: At first glance, pride seems harmless and perhaps even helpful. Psychology today places great emphasis upon pride. Pride of accomplishment. Pride of personhood. Pride of achievement. And how we should take pride in what we have accomplished and what we have done and who we are. Pride even sneaks into our spiritual thoughts. We take pride in what we do for God. We take pride in how frequently we may read the Bible. We take pride that I have done more good than I have done evil. And we take pride in our thoughts that surely God must see that I am a good person. Yet when we read the scriptures, we come away with a different viewpoint. The Proverbs tells us that pride goes before a fall. And the Apostle Paul wrote his friends at Corinth, and a few moments ago we read some verses from First Corinthians, introducing Paul's comments and encouragement to his friends at Corinth regarding this very issue of pride. I would like to read a few more verses starting with verse number 26. We left off at verse number 25 in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I will start reading with verse number 26 and read a few more verses that follow on from what we read just a moment ago. And we read this, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God righteousness, sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Now the comments that Paul brought to his friends at Corinth contrasted very clearly with the approach of the people in Corinth. The people in Corinth took great pride in their wisdom, in their nobility. In their strength of character. And they despised the church. They ridiculed Christ. They mocked the cross. That is foolishness, they said. That doesn't measure up to what we think about life and about the world. And about spiritual matters. And if you believe it and if you follow it. It just shows how foolish and ignorant you really are. Paul wrote to them to instruct them of the difference between the world's wisdom and godly wisdom. And he reassured them that those who place their trust and confidence in Christ chose the wisest. Not like the world. The world placed their wisdom, their abilities, their nobility superior to Christ. Paul pointed out the superiority of Christ contrasted with the foolishness of the world's wisdom. We still see it in our day, don't we? How foolish it appears to the world for anyone to trust in Christ. To talk about God, to follow Him, to read His Word. If you let it be known in certain circles, they will definitely mock you, make fun of you for such foolishness. But Paul pointed out to them the superiority of Christ. And he says to them, And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Paul pointed out the answer to the question, What makes Christ superior? Paul declared him superior. What makes him superior? to the wisdom of the world because of what God did through Christ well that begs the obvious question what did God do through Christ what did Christ do Paul alludes to it a little bit earlier the verses we read for our selection a few moments ago and then the verses we read Just moments ago, he talks about the cross. And that the cross to the world is foolish. But in God's plan, in God's purpose, it is wisdom. Well, what happened at the cross? I'll back up ever so slightly to identify Christ so that you can see the value of the cross. You will recall that the scriptures tell us in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And then as you read down through the chapter and come to verse number 14, it says, and the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us. In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. In a few months, we will celebrate that birth in December, recalling the time when God sent forth His Son, the Lord Jesus, born of a woman. He sent His Son with a mission and with a purpose. And Jesus himself declared that mission. And he described it very clearly in verses number 16 of John chapter 3. Many of us know John 3.16. And it simply says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus said that. In essence, saying, God has sent me to you so that if you will believe and trust in me, you will have everlasting life. That's the wisdom of God. That contradicts the wisdom of the world. Because it so contradicted the wisdom of the world, the world crucified him, hung him on a cross, and crucified him because he, presented a gospel a message good news that contradicted their pride and their wisdom the scriptures tell us that anyone who hangs on a cross is cursed Jesus hung on a cross cursed because of himself no he did no evil He did no wrong. He lived a sinless life. He hung on a cross and endured a curse and became a curse for someone other than himself. People like you and me. And Paul reminded his friends at Corinth, the cross... The cross, the value of the cross, it displayed the love and the grace of God and the love and the grace of Jesus Christ to take a curse upon Himself who knew no sin that we might become righteous in Him. Now as Paul presents these truths, he points out two very critical theological terms. I'll mention them and then hopefully define and explain them so that you'll see their meaning and application. The first one is imputation. That's a big word. That's a $20 word. Imputation very simply means that someone receives a benefit from another person who did it on their behalf a simple example we could find in the payment of a debt let's assume for a moment you owe a bank or a finance company or another person a thousand dollars you needed that thousand dollars to pay for bills or necessities of life You owe them $1,000, but you don't have the resources to pay it. Someone comes along and discovers your debt, knows that you are liable for that debt, but have no ability to pay that debt. That person goes to your bank, to the other person, To whom you owe the money and says I'm going to pay that thousand dollars On behalf Of my friend Who owes you the money The person to whom You owe the debt Takes the money And imputes it To your account Puts it to your account Eliminates your debt Removes it, applies it to you. That's imputation. We read in these verses that it says that because of him, God, you are in Christ Jesus. What Christ Jesus did, God imputes to your account. To my account, people like you and like me. He reduces and removes the debt. There's a second term here, and that's substitution. It's tied up in the same example. The person who came and pays your debt came as a substitute for you, on your behalf. He paid that debt. He became a substitute. He didn't owe the debt. He was not responsible for that debt. You were responsible for that debt. He came as your substitute on your behalf. Again, that describes what Jesus did at the cross. He did not have to die for any sin that he committed, he died as a substitute. He died in the place of people like you and like me. And we see Paul reminding his friends at Corinth of the great value and worth of what Jesus did on the cross and why it has greater worth and value than all of the wisdom of the world exalted it to the highest levels above the wisdom of the world now that begs another question what did he accomplish what did God assign to the account of people like you and me these verses tell us it says redemption what's redemption we all owe God a debt because of our sin we owe a debt to God Jesus paid the debt on behalf of people like you and like me he paid that debt redeeming people like you and me from the debt that we owe to God and then it goes on, it says, righteousness. I would hesitate to ask you this morning if you could in all honesty, honesty, describe yourself as righteous, as holy, before a holy, righteous God or perhaps in contrasting ourselves to people around us maybe we in our pride can say well I'm better than my neighbor I'm better than my brother I'm better than my sister I'm better than and we can name all kinds of people and say I'm better than them let's suppose for the moment that you are do you achieve the level of holiness that God demands of you? None of us can lay that claim. None of us can say yes in and of ourselves. That's one of the things that God imputed from Christ and what He accomplished on the cross for people like you and like me. So that we can stand before God wholly Not in ourselves, but in our substitute. Not because of something we have done, but because God has imputed it, has applied it, has assigned it to the account of people like you and me. That begs another question. Who is it he's talking about? Who are these people who stand before God holy? and righteous redeemed who are they? well in the immediate verses it only tells us you <laughs> in our English language we understand that the pronoun you represents somebody we don't know their names but it stands for other people And we read, if we go back to the beginning of the chapter, we find out who the antecedent of you are, or is. And if we go back to verse number 1 and 2, Paul describes for us those whom he calls you later on in the chapter, the verses we just read. Here's, here's what Paul says, verse number 1, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes, Paul was with his friend Sosthenes, and he was writing to someone, and now he's going to tell who it is to whom he wrote, to the church of God that is in Corinth. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus, and that word sanctified means set aside, declared holy, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So whom does Paul call you have been made righteous. You have been redeemed. You stand holy before God. Those who have trusted Christ. Those who have come to an understanding and a knowledge of their necessity of a substitute. Those who have realized Their inability to satisfy a holy God and have called out upon the one whom the Father has provided as a substitute for them. That through that substitute He might then declare them holy. That comes to those who trust Christ. Those who have placed their confidence in Him. What can we conclude? We can conclude that because of the grace of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, those who follow and trust Christ stand before God holy. Not because of any merit of their own, but because of the substitute. Because of what Jesus did on their behalf. God has imputed it, has assigned it, has applied it to them. Therefore, therefore, I'm sure you can see and understand. That because of God's grace, His mercy, His love, His compassion... Through Christ. And for what he has done for people like you and like me. That love constrains us. Commands us. Draws us. To place our trust and confidence in Christ and Christ alone. Not ourselves. Not anything we have done. Therefore, what must we do? How must we respond to the truth? Paul tells us right here in these verses. I don't know if you noticed them, so I'll point them out to you. The verses I read earlier and the verses I read just a few moments ago, he points out the superiority of Christ and the cross of Christ and how we must place our trust and confidence in Him Why? So that no human being may boast in themselves in the presence of God. We must reject all self-reliance. We must turn from it. Now perhaps, I don't know your mind and your heart, so it's possible that Maybe you have never done that. Maybe you have never trusted Christ. You know about Him. You've heard about Him. You celebrate Easter. You celebrate Christmas. You've perhaps tried to follow what the people in Corinth did initially. You've tried to please and satisfy God with your own wisdom and your own good works. But now you see from what we've examined and what God has opened your eyes to see that that will not satisfy Him. That rests upon pride. Pride goes before a fall. And Paul points out to his friends and reminds them the foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of man. Listen to what God did. And remember of what Christ did on the cross and trust the foolishness of God instead of the wisdom of the world. Reject the wisdom of the world. And if you have never come to Christ, come to Him today, even now, and cast your trust and confidence upon Him. And the reason why... Paul needed to present this reminder to his friends at Corinth is because it's very easy for those who have even at some time trusted Christ to begin trusting in themselves and think about how good they are and yeah, I am really kind of a good person because yeah, I have trusted Christ and and then we go on from that and try to defend our goodness Paul reminds them, no, 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 no. None of that will help you before God. You are made holy in Christ. You are redeemed through Christ. Reject all trust and self-confidence in yourself. So we must... Even like one who has never yet come to Christ, we must also reject self-confidence. Well, what must we then do? Secondly, we see here, we must boast in the Lord. Thank God for what He did for you. Praise Him. Give Him honor and glory. Obey Him. Follow him as a true disciple and follower of Christ. Boast in the Lord, not yourself. These reminders written by Paul thousands of years ago fit our day today too, don't they? Because we fall prey too often to the same temptation that Paul warned these friends at Corinth to reject turn aside from trust in yourself that will get you nowhere instead place your trust and confidence in Christ and what he did on the cross for people like you and like me I pray that the spirit of God will take these truths and open your eyes to see them to understand them To claim them for your own. And to reject self-confidence. And place your trust in Christ. In Christ alone. For in Him, Paul says, we are made righteous. In Christ we are made holy. I pray the Spirit of God will do that in your lives today. Let's close with a word of prayer. father thank you for your great provision for us in Christ thank you for the way you made it so simple to trust Jesus to turn from our self-confidence and to trust Him and father we all need that reminder today whether we have ever come to Christ or not or whether we have we need that reminder you have made provision for people like us in your son Jesus I pray for my friends and for those who listen to this message that you by your Holy Spirit will open their eyes to see the foolishness of pursuing the world's wisdom and the wisdom of pursuing your foolishness and trusting Christ and your provision for us. And we will give to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, honor and glory and praise for what you accomplish by the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives today. Amen.